0: If you ever want to go back and sing some of these songs, I mean, one of the things about all the songs that we sang today, they all match the song of Psalm 34 that we're, we're going to see today. So you can listen to those tonight. You can listen to them in the next few days. Uh, that's out there. We have that playlist. Let me know if you need help finding that. But that was just what my soul needed. One of the things I love about our church family is that we have just a very transparent culture that is that is here in our church and no one to my knowledge ever feels like they have to pretend like everything is always good all the time. As a matter of fact, I've had a lot of conversations with with a lot of you over the last like month and a half and so many people right now. It's it's just obvious. It's this reoccurring theme. We're struggling. There there is uncertainty. There are hard times going on right now. And last week we were in Psalm 23, and we saw that you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You can do that, and you can have a relationship with God where you sit at a table for two. So when we say dark times, and we're talking about a rough season that we're in, one of the ways that you could say that is with a valley, a storm. Um, And life is obviously like that right now. You know, parents who are having newborn babies and and. Ben and Becca are in the hospital right now. I don't know if you, you know that. Um, if, if anybody gets a text back there, you know, just, just give a signal. Like, that That baby is coming. Uh, but there's a couple people who are, you know, ladies who are pregnant have just had babies in our church. And it's a hard time to have that. You know, you can't have people come in the hospital. There's uncertainty. There's fear. Kids who rely on interaction with other kids to develop and mature, they're feeling the strains of, of societal pressures. And they don't even know how to communicate it all the time, right? And then you have parents of these kids, and you have students. I mean, students, think about the high school students that have had sports canceled, social situations have, have ended. It's it's That's no fun. That's tough. We're trying to work, the, make the best decisions in our home, with our children, with uncertainty, and it's putting an extra strain on things. Young professionals, you were already at an economic disadvantage before this even happened, and now many of you are just trying to, survive? And and where's the next job opening going to be? And people have been laid off. There's extreme financial pressure right now. It's a tough time. We turn on the news and then we don't hear any solutions, right? We, we we hear the opposite of that. We We can feel so discouraged when we see that there's not even any ideological dialogue going on. I mean, we have an election coming up and there's I, don't, I haven't even heard about platforms or campaigns or positions. Like, there's not even positions being talked about. It's just shame. It's, 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 uh, it's tragedy and fear-mongering. That's the stuff that we're dealing with that's in our face day in, day out. And we know that our world is rigid. We know that the world is cutthroat. We know that people in this world are self-righteous, in their that, that they are diabolical in many ways. We've always known that, but it's consistently and constantly in our face right now. And I, I'm painting a pretty dark picture, but the world shouts, you know, hey, be open-minded, be inclusive. But if you said the wrong thing four years ago, you know, you have a chance that you could and if you're on the wrong side of the fence, you're labeled unfit for society. And you have a chance of losing your job. So there's a lot of scared people right now. And everywhere you look, people are worried. People are desperate. Good people's lives are being turned upside down all across the country. So, yeah, it's heavy times. Yeah, we're in dark a dark season. And honestly, it has been distracting to me lately. Like, I look at everything going on, and I feel that. It's, it's, it truly has been a distraction for me, and I think it's been a distraction for many of you. Dark times can be super discouraging, but Psalm 34, where we're at today, speaks directly into the fears and the unknowns that we're all facing in some way, shape, or form. This psalm, it just blew me away at how perfect it is for the hour that we're currently in. And even though I just painted a very dark picture, this is going to be the kind of passage that is like drinking a cup of cool water on a scorching hot July day, like we are all going to face when we walk out of these doors, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Psalm 34, 18 sums it up. This is, this is a summary, really, of what you see in this, this chapter. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's the message that we're going to read today from this from this song. And it may shock you when you understand the context, because Psalm 34 is one of only 14 Psalms out of all 150 Psalms that actually gives us a prologue that has this specific context. There's a cue here that lets us know exactly what David is facing. And if you if you have a Bible that has those prologues, the little little subheadings, it says of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, uh, you can read about this change of behavior, okay, that David has here in Psalm 21. And after reading the surrounding chapters of David's life, I wanted to just like immerse myself into David's world. It made me smile to realize how politically correct it is to say David changed his behavior. All right, if you're familiar with what's happening in David's life, that was quite an understatement that he changed his behavior. David's life up to this point had been on an upward trajectory. Ever since ever since he was said to be the next king, he was like, this is the next king. He slayed Goliath. He was more popular than King Saul. He had this really nice position in the the palace, okay? Everything was going his way. And then King Saul gets very jealous, and King Saul loses it. King Saul tries to spear him up against the wall, and David is on, on the run now for his life, okay? So he is now a fugitive. And to make it even more complicated, David is married to Michael, who is Saul's daughter, and David's best friend is Jonathan, who happens to be David's best friend. And in chapter 19, his own wife, Michael, is now denying him, is, is, is saying some wrong things about David because she's scared of her own dad. Uh, David goes and, and he, he finds some refuge with Samuel for a little while in another city, and then he gets tracked down there and he has to go on the run again. So at this point, David is running for his life, He doesn't have any food. He goes to a tabernacle and he gets this showbread from the tabernacle. And then there was happened to be on display there the same sword that he killed the Goliath with. So he takes the bread and he takes this sword. And David does something that's like unthinkable at this point. He goes to the coastal area outside of his homeland to where the Philistines live. And he goes to seek asylum with the king of Gath, which that's the same area that Goliath came from. I have so many questions about this. But David is stressed out to the max. He doesn't know what to do. He's, he's reacting to these very adverse circumstances, and he runs to the king of Gath. Now, this is where 1 Samuel 21 comes in that sets up this, this exact context. But think about it. He's going, he's going to the homeland of his enemy that he killed. Those people don't like David. And he gets captured, thrown in front of the king of Gath, and that's where they say, hey, this is the guy. This is David, the one Saul has slayed his thousands, Uh, David his tens of thousands. And so this is where David changes his behavior. And it really does make me smile because it's the most PC possible way to put it. He basically acts insane. All right, uh, if you read First Samuel 21, he starts scratching and clawing on the wood. He starts letting jewel just run down his beard. He acts like an absolute madman in the presence of the king of Gath. And it's, really, it's a really great line. This is one of those humorous jewels that's found in scripture. Uh, the king of Gath says, behold, you see this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? It's like, I got enough crazy in here. Like, get this guy out of here. I don't want any more crazy people. Interesting side note, in case you want to go back and read this story, because I know this is, is some of you are like, is this story even in the Bible? Like, where where did this come from? I know you may want to go back and look at this. And you will see, this is a total side note, but it says that the the name of the king is King Akesh, And in the prologue here for Samuel 34, it says Abimelech, right? So, whoa, what's going on with that? I actually had to bust out my Norman Geisler handbook on Bible difficulties because anytime you get an alleged contradiction in the Bible, I want to see what is the answer. And the interesting thing about this is that name, Abimelech, was the name that all the dynastic kings had for that area. So just like in Rome where, you know, you had Julius Caesar and then you have these 12 imperial emperors of Rome that all went by the name of Caesar, King Akesh went by the name Abimelech as well. So there's not There's not a mistake there. That's just something that's in the history that the Bible records. So problem solved. But that's end of side note. I love it when Bible discrepancies are resolved and you get an answer for that. But this is unbelievable. David is so desperate, he acts like a madman. He gets sent out and he's like, it worked. I can't believe this. Like, I'm free. And then in the very next chapter, you get this great Lord of the Rings name. It says, David went out from there and he went to the cave of Adullam, all right? And, and this is where we find David right now in Psalm 34 writing this song. And you would think this would either be a sad song, maybe it would be a fight song, uh, maybe a depressed song with everything. His, his life is literally crashing and burning. But instead, it's a song that shares three themes, And these themes are repeatedly woven in and out of the 22 verses. There are two sections to Psalm 34. Verses 1 through 10 are structured similar to what a hymn would be structured as. And verses 11 through 22 are more of a sermon. But when you break them down, you can actually see a three-step progression on how to make it through the darkest days of your life. So that's the angle we're taking this morning. Deliverance through dark times. And let's start with verses 1 through 3, and let's listen to this song from a desperate man who's fallen from grace, who's fighting for his life, and let's hear what he says in verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. This is the first theme, it's our first point today. If you want deliverance through dark times, here is an example of what you need to do. Number one, never stop praising God. We just talked about how these words are on the heels of one of the saddest episodes of his life. Really bad circumstances, and in the moment, he didn't respond well. He didn't trust God's protection. He took matters into his own hands, fleeed into enemy territory, and by God's mercy, he opens up, he's saved, and he opens up this psalm by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. It's one thing to praise God in the sunshine. It's another thing to praise him in the rain. And David has escaped by a thread. Thankfully, the the region of, of, of Gad, Gath already had their quota on madmen, so he's free, but he's not completely out of trouble. Saul is still after him. But you would hardly know that if it weren't for the contextual cue that we had. Because the way he is talking, he has joy and peace in the midst of chaos and confusion. I want some of that. I think we all do. So let's look closer at verses 4 through 10. He goes on to say, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer, want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We can get so stuck in wanting complete deliverance. We want our problems just to go away completely, and we want everything resolved in the moment. We all want that, right? We can get so stuck in wanting complete deliverance from everything wrong that sometimes we fail to see that the Lord prepares a table for two in the presence of your enemies, and we can miss the little victories that, are, that come along the way. This is the first theme that's laced throughout this psalm. But his praise is continually, it's continually on his lips, in his mouth. So what if, you know, someone who you used to be tight with disagrees with you? And, and now things are weird. Well, that's no fun. What if you were barely treading water and haven't moved forward with any of your personal health goals? Your sleep is off. Your eating is unhealthy. You're not feeling well. What if you can't get out of your own way sometimes and you make terrible decisions? In the next five years, you're facing the consequences, um, and it looks foreboding because you've just messed up. What if that's your situation? Well, look again at verse 2. It says, Let the humble hear and be glad. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. The blueprint that David is laying down here is is pretty out there. He, we we don't usually think this way. But the posture that David is taking is, I'm going to praise God no matter what happens. No matter what. I'm never going to stop doing it. At all times, in every situation. And the thing that I love is he's not worried about tomorrow right here. He's not even focused on tomorrow. He's focused on what happened today, and he's thankful for today. He cried out, and he was delivered. In verse 6, he calls himself a poor man, and he's thankful that the Lord heard him. If you want to get through dark times, get closer to God, and grow stronger, and become a better person for him, this is the first thing you have to do. You have to praise him for the little wins, one day at a time. Despite the circumstances, you can always find something to praise him for. With the words of your mouth, you can magnify him in your soul. Magnify means to shine. It means to make him known. Um, just put him on display. And I think sometimes as Christians, we think about a lot of other virtues and things that we should be for Jesus Christ. We think of, hey, I need to. I need to show, show grace. I need to be more forgiving. I need, to, I need to grow in the area of my temper and not lose my temper as much. We think about growing in all these other veins of our, of our spiritual life, but very rarely do we think about growing in praise as one of the muscles that we need to flex, that we need to work on to get better at. But it is one of those things. Praising God will change your heart. David is praising in the midi- middle of the valley of the shadow of death, And praise is a muscle that needs to be worked out before you can flex it to its full potential. To grow in praise, you have to praise him for the little wins, even when in the big picture it's still cloudy with a 99% chance of thunderstorms. There's still something that you can praise him for. When things are going great, it's easier to praise God, right? It just is. But even then, even when things are great, there is still a temptation to read our own press clippings, so to speak. Pride is gonna slowly have um, try to try to step in there. We can get comfortable. We can forget God, and you know, for many people, you know, 2019 was that way. Like the stock market's gone up forever. Like, we're enjoying traveling. We're not, even, we're not even taking it, you know, into consideration that we could get sick. Um, you know, we have all these amazing foodie experiences where we're dining in all these great places. And then just like that, 2020 hits, and it all comes to a screeching halt. But even when you have all the blessings and all the good things happening, it's, it's easier to praise God, yes. There's also a temptation there that you have to be careful about, about forgetting where it's coming from, who is the giver of that. And if you're doing better than ever right now, that's incredible. I'm really glad for you. But don't forget where it's coming from, right? It's coming from God. Because if you do forget where the good gifts are coming from and the trial inevitably does come, it can get ugly. Even a little bit of arrogance going into the trial, even a little bit of self-absorbed mentality going into the valley is going to make it get ugly really fast. And then you don't have praise on the scene. You have the opposite of praise, which is cursing, it's discouragement, it's depression. That's what some people are in right now, in the dark times that we're in. That's not where David is at, though. David has the opposite. What we see from him is a joyful, humble confidence. And one of the keys to never stop praising, even in the middle of the cave, is found in verse 6. Verse 6 says, This poor man cried, And the Lord heard him and saved him from all his trouble. David has confidence, but not a confidence in himself, right? Are you looking at verse 6 there? Where is his confidence coming from? It's a boasting in the Lord, and there's an underlying humility that is revealing itself. He realizes he's a poor man who has needs. He's not insecure. He's not brash either. He has this balance where he says in verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Just listen again to his testimony, verses four through seven. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them you see this sequence? He speaks of his fears, of all his troubles, and he calls upon the Lord, and he is delivered. Now, again, David's circumstances haven't completely changed overnight. He's still a fugitive. At this point in time, we still think he's most likely still alone. But God did deliver him from a situation where he had no business making it out of. And even though his answer didn't wipe away all of the problems from his life, it preserved him so that God could do the work that needed to be done in his life right now. It's a small win, but small wins stack up to ultimate victory, right? Every small win that you have shows that God is for you, that he's behind this, and that he's going to do something through you. And that's why you can praise him at all times. So David is humble, he's joyful, he's confident, he's even concerned for his peers right now. He's calling others to praise God, not in spite of the crisis, but because of the crisis. And we talked about this last week, but crisis crisis moments in your life can be a very good thing. You know, fruit grows in the valley. Um, How would we ever grow into strength if we never had any adversity? We wouldn't. It just wouldn't happen. Easy times make for soft men. Hard times make men strong. Goes the same way for women, all right? So praise the Lord at all times, in the green pasture and in the valley of the shadow of death. But that kind of praise can only happen if you see yourself as someone who has needs. You see yourself as a poor person who is dependent on someone else. And this is not a popular truth. It never has been, but especially in our day of empowerment. But to hear that you are dependent is not flattering, but allows you, that that truth that you accept allows you to praise him even in the dark moments. It provides a sense of security and inner peace. You have a sense of your limits. You have to realize that I'm not sufficient to solve all my problems. But there is someone who is. That's humility. The most satisfied, joyful people realize they have limitations. They can't control it all. They need a provider and they need a sustainer. Those are the most satisfied, joyful people. You shouldn't be a pessimist. You don't need to be an optimist. You can be a realist. The world is a dark place. I can't fix every problem. But there is a God who reigns over it all. That's what David sees And we can praise him at all times because even though I'm not in control of this, I can know the person who is. I can know the one who is in control. And even though you're not in control, God is. Now the next theme that progresses from this sense of humble praise has already been mentioned in these first ten verses that we've read. I want to point some verses out to you. And please look for the common denominator just really quick. Verse 2. It says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. There's a common theme here. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse eight: O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And then verse 9, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Now, I know I just am like rushing you on this, and you're probably like, hey, if I'm going to go in full Sherlock mode, I need a good 10 minutes to look at all these verses for this common denominator. What is it? I don't even know yet. You just read a whole bunch of verses to me. Well, verse 11 gives it away, this same theme. It says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Not only is he praising God for his deliverance, that praise is, is spreading now into a call for others to praise. He has a concern for his peers. In all of these verses, he is calling those around him to join him in this anthem of praise. And this is the theme number two. It's the progression. Even in the darkest of times, if you humbly thank and praise God for the next breath, for the immediate victories, no matter how little they are, you are going to have a desire then To get your surrounding neighbors in on the praise. And you're going to call them to do the same thing. I mean, I've seen this in our church with the things that are going on. God is working behind the scenes. And so many of you, I'm getting texts, hey, God is doing this. My coworker, she just mentioned for the first time that she's willing to listen to what Jesus says. I'm like, yes, that's great. You're on the front lines. You're the person that can tell this person about Jesus. I'm, I'm here setting up on Saturday nights, and we have guys praising God about what he's doing in their life, even in the midst of dark times. When you get a sense and a feel, and you're praising him for what he's doing, you have to get other people in on it. It's contagious that way. So here's the second point. Exalt his name together. This is the second progression on deliverance through dark times. You see this in verses 11 through 14. David is not focused about the unknowns of his life. It's there, but it's not causing him to wallow in despair. A big part of that is because he's not consumed with himself. And really, humility goes hand in hand with a sense of, I don't just, I'm not thinking about myself. I care about other people. It's a, it, they, they go together. So we saw this humility piece already. And now his eyes are focused on those around him, and he's urging them to praise God with me, praise God with me. And again, these um, these themes are all pointing to something that we see: we can have hope in our relationship with God. Verses eleven through fourteen is the same theme is all throughout this psalm. But look back at verse seven. He said there, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. He's not talking about himself right here. He's talking to us. He's talking about the future readers. And, and he says here uh, just an amazing mental picture. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. And if you have to notice here, throughout this whole chapter, he's been using the all-caps LORD, it's Yahweh. It's the personal relational name for God. But right here, he uses the the name the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord is only used one other time in Psalms. It's in Psalm 35. Almost throughout all the other Psalms, we, we have either Yahweh or Adonai describing God. So it's different here. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you may know that whenever this name pops up, it's not just any angel. Okay, we're not just talking about even one of the archangels like Michael or Gabriel. We're not talking about them. This is someone who's higher and on a different plane. And the angel of the Lord from Genesis, Exodus, Judges, 1 Samuel, Zechariah, it all points the angel of the Lord as someone who is greater than an angel. And specifically in Genesis and in Zechariah, it points out that the angel of the Lord is the all-knowing God of the universe. So when you see the angel of the Lord, where Moses is before the burning bush and he takes off his shoes, when you see the angel of the Lord in the fiery furnace, theologians call those a theophany. It's a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ coming to earth. Now, right now, the angel of the Lord is not in the cave, but, but David is referring. He is pointing to the angel of the Lord. And he doesn't even know the angel of the Lord's name is Jesus yet. But he does point to the angel of the Lord as the one who encamps around those who fear him. He is your protector and deliverer. So he says, listen to me, children. Let's exalt his name together. Oh, taste and see that he is good. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. When you truly know Jesus, the comfort that he provides, you can't help yourself from telling others about him. You start opening your mouth and how he is provided, how he is there for you. You could be in a really tight spot. You have no one else to talk to, but you have Jesus right there who is encamping around you. When you feel that and your problems don't, don't feel so big anymore, you want others to know the security that you can find in Jesus Christ alone. Taste it and see you know how it is when you go to a really great new place to eat and you just tell everybody about it? My wife and I have done this recently, we were in Charleston a few weeks ago and we wanted to go to a new fast food restaurant that we've never been to before, like a local Charleston fast food place. So We went to a place called Boxcar Betty's. I walked in there, I was so scared of the menu, like everything on the menu looked a little, I, I'm usually like all four trying new things, but everything on the menu looked a little sketch. And I'm like, peach slaw? I don't want peach slaw on my, on my chicken sandwich. And pimento cheese, like everything had pimento cheese. And I've lived in South Carolina a while now, but I haven't quite, like, embraced the pimento cheese thing. I've been a little scared. Well, I tell you what, I finally tried it at Boxcar Betty's, and it was the best chicken sandwich I've ever had in my entire life. Now, every time we're talking to people at the pool, wherever we're at, oh, you got to try, if you're going to Charleston, try Boxcar Betty's. It's amazing. Taste it and see. It's so good. That's what we can, when we experience Jesus, our Deliverer, we want to tell others and we call others to praise him. That's how fired up we get. And another interesting thing about this is we know at this point in David's life, this is pretty crazy, but we know it because of Scripture reveals some stuff. It's deep. But we know the last thing that David ate right now was what? Jesus talks about this even when he's debating the Pharisees. The last thing he ate at this point was that showbread from the tabernacle. And, I mean, I don't know, maybe he has a little bit of that left over in his pouch that he pulls out in the cave right now. I don't know. But he, is it a coincidence? I don't know. I don't really know. I don't have a specific answer. But is it a coincidence that after he talks about the angel of the Lord who is Jesus, the very next verse he talks about eating and tasting this this bread all right it's it's an image of eating bread right and we know from the new testament that jesus is the bread of life all who come to him will never hunger all who believe in him will never thirst and i don't know for sure what david was holding in his hand or what he was actually saying when he said taste and see but i do see a beautiful harmony and depth of who jesus is a thousand years later and how you have to taste jesus You have to try, Jesus, to really truly believe how good he is. If we can do this in the middle of the valley when life is dark, you better be sure that people will listen to you. Are you listening to this? Are you catching this right now? I've had this conversation again with people in our church recently, very recently. Don't miss this. I need to repeat it. If you can praise God, even in the darkest moments of your life, and you know what those trials are, and other people around you see the pain that you are also experiencing, and even in the midst of the dark pain that you're facing, you can still praise God, do you think that those around you will be listening? You better believe they will be listening. That's how you magnify the name of Jesus. They are going to perk up and listen. And maybe that's the only thing that's going to cause them to listen to the things of Jesus Christ, in the words of Jesus Christ. The person who experiences God's grace and mercy naturally looks to praise God with others, and God will use that testimony every single time He will use that testimony. The last theme of Psalm 34, per usual, is consistently woven throughout this song. And we have already touched on it, but. The entire second half of this psalm is an expose on this third point, all right? Number three, fear the Lord with your actions. This is the next step of progression. We often think of the fear of the Lord as a posture of reverence and respect for God, and that is true. That is very true. It's a great way to understand the fear of the Lord. It's not a debilitating fear. He loves you. He cares for you with a perfect love that can't get any stronger. It could never be any greater or any less. doesn't matter what you do. God loves you with a perfect love. So you can fear the Lord. But this is a kind of fear um, that has nothing to do with harmful forces. This is a different kind of fear. Verse 11 actually gives us the description of the fear of the Lord. And I love it because a lot of times in the Bible, it just talks about the fear of the Lord generally, as if we know what that means. But this this right here in verse verse 11, he actually describes it. Look at that. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And look down at verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's a description of what the fear of the Lord is. So praise the Lord at all times. We've already, we've we've seen these progressions. No matter what's going on, He's in control, even if it's bad. If it's praiseworthy, God will use it to strengthen you. Number two, you know, in turn, call others to praise Him. Join me. Let's do this together. You have to taste it to try it. And you better believe those people who will be dialed in, they will be listening to you when you, they see you praising him in the dark times. And now that you reach this point, you have to start living out with your life a holy fear of the Lord. And that's really going to stand out and make a difference. The fear of the Lord as defined by David is not an emotion or an attitude. He's giving us practical instruction on exactly what you need to do and and i love how peter the apostle peter quotes this these exact verses verses 13 through 14 like when he's writing his letter to those christians who were in exile and dispersion those ones who were struggling and he says hey this is how you live the life that you need to live for jesus and he describes the definition that david gave for the fear of the lord keep your tongue from evil keep your lips from speaking deceit turn away from evil Do good, seek peace, and pursue peace. That is how we taste and see that he is good. It means you have to obey him. Jesus said that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And you can't live out these actions without obedience. A lot of people will pick or choose a few of these things. People who don't even know Jesus. I mean, they're going to be for seeking peace, pursuing peace, for sure. But you can't do all of these unless you have a relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ. In verses 15 through 22, David is actually going to repeat everything. The, the, all these themes are just, again, emphasized in a sermon form, basically. And it's a perfect summary of what he just said. So as we read the rest of this chapter together, look for the contrast between those who are righteous and those who turn to the Lord compared with those who do evil. Because there's a huge contrast here. So let, let's read verses 15 through 22. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and he hears, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, and now one of them is broken affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned the Lord redeems the life of his servants none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned and one of the things that jumps out at me when I read this summary of this chapter is everything that is said here is a balanced view of life it's a it, it's it's not it's not one extreme or the other It contains maturity here. where in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death and obedience and actively living in the fear of the Lord. It produces a perspective, right? Where you're pointing to the deliverance of God without overlooking the fact that in spite of God's favor, the righteous in this life will frequently suffer hard, dark, scary things. David has his troubles. We all have our troubles. So becoming a Christian has nothing to do with living a trouble-free existence. It has nothing to do with that on this side of eternity. Nothing in this is a guarantee that life will always be easy. It is definitely, most definitely not. God's presence may mend the broken heart, but it doesn't prevent the heart from being broken. It may restore the spiritually crushed, but it does not crush the forces that may create oppression immediately. Deliverance is one thing, but exemption from trouble is another thing, and that's, that's not real life. The right perspective here is that shelter is provided, just as dark times are assumed. Verse 19 says, many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So let's wrap this up. The obvious, life is hard. Dark times exist. But you don't have to stay down. To so walk through them and find deliverance through the dark times. Never stop praising God. Exalt his name together and fear the Lord with your actions. Turn away from evil. Do good and pursue peace. All three of these themes woven in and out throughout this song create a sense of humble satisfaction even in the tough moments. And they point to deliverance. But... Verse 22 takes, takes to another level beyond just simply deliverance. Look at verse 22 with me. One step further. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That is taking it to a whole other level. Worship team, you can come up right now. And if you like to mark your Bibles, which I think is a great idea, nothing wrong with doing that. In my Bible, right after verse 22, I have how question mark, okay? Because if you're taking this seriously, you may feel like this, this, this is like an overstep. Is this really an overreach here? Okay, that's one thing to be delivered, but um, redeemed, and, and you will not be condemned? How? How could that possibly be? Because I have friends, I have a loved one who has died. They, they were not delivered, okay and and i have a really people have a really hard time with this they're they're gone well verse 20 gives us a hint at what else is going on in this passage okay notice verse 20 it says he keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken and that may sound slightly like it's a little out of left field i mean we know this is a piece of poetry it's literature there's figures of speech in that okay sure but like How does that fit in with being redeemed and being delivered? Not one of your bones are broken? I mean, you can die. Well, the apostle that Jesus loved, the apostle John, the beloved apostle, when he writes his gospel account of the crucifixion, he actually goes back, he quotes Psalm 34, verse 20, right here. This is a point reference to Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus died on the cross, not one of his bones were broken. And that was an extremely rare thing for crucifixion. That just didn't happen. But Jesus died for your sins. He went to the grave all the way to the end. He faced death. He swallowed death. And he defeated it. So you can write, if you have the how question mark after verse 22, how can I be redeemed? How can I not face any condemnation? This does not make any sense. Well, it does if you put Jesus into the equation. So just write Jesus Christ. How, question mark? Jesus Christ. He's right here in Psalm 34. Jesus gave his life a ransom for many. He came to die for you and for me. And if you take refuge in him, you will not be condemned. He took your sin upon himself. He took our punishment. And he defeated sin and death. His affliction took him all the way to the grave, but he conquered the grave. And when you put Jesus into the equation, the grave is not the end. It's not the end. If you take rebu- refuge in him, right here, your life will not end on earth. It's just not the end. It's going to live on for eternity. We have trials. Jesus had trials. I mean, to call what Jesus did on the cross, you can't even call it a trial. It's too nice of a word. I mean, brutal torture agony he went through that for you and i not one of his bones was broken and he conquered death when we see that we are inefficient but at the same time we look to jesus that's when you can be joyful you can't control what happens to you but you can know the one who is in control This is so important that you know Him. And because of that, you can praise Him in the dark times. Because you can know the one who knows exactly what you're facing, who is right there with you, who will use it to make you stronger, to make you a deeper person, a person who's going to be able to impact and, and, and help more people. The stuff that you're going through, the pain, if you call for praise, even in that dark moment, it will cause others to praise Him. That's what we're created to do. Taste the bread of life, the angel of the Lord who encamps around those who fear him. Taste Jesus, and you find deliverance through the dark times. Would you stand with me? We're going to praise him right now. We're going to sing one of our old favorite songs about how great he is and how he will deliver, he will redeem, he will make all things new.
1: power throughout the universe display then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. free.